Hey, thanks for joining us for PACT. I'm the P. Peter Coffin, the lovely Miss Astronaut Cowboy Doctor, Master of Science, PhD candidate right here. Together, we're PACT. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast service. Also, leave us a glowing review on Audible and Apple Podcasts. We are a five-star podcast. Not three, not four, five. <laughs> <laughs> Help us keep the lights on by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash pactpod. That's P-A-C-D-P-O-D. Your monthly support gets you into the Discord server, gets you exclusive content, and see some content before everyone else. We've got fantastic Pact merch available as well. Finally, tell your friends we rely so big on word of mouth. We stream 7 p.m. Eastern every Saturday. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, it's official. <laughs> well, I guess it's official. We're now on Facebook. I really wasn't sure about this at the start. But then a friend of mine said something that just made all kinds of sense. She said, think of it more as a conversation. I like that. But I'm already finding out on my own. So it's wiping the walls out between you and me. And I really like that. It allows us into each other's worlds, or I guess in my case, the hotel room. When I think about things I want to post, I want to post cool stuff, slick stuff, neat stuff. But most of the stuff I'm going to post is going to be raw stuff like this. This is just who I am. So if this is truly a conversation, then I say let the conversation begin. <laughs> <laughs> that clip is, is it's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. A anyway, I hope you're in your fucking chairs. Um... Yeah, and, let the conversation begin. And, and have something to hold on to. Um, because Facebook's primary motive, it's to maximize profit. Oh, shit, what? I don't fucking believe that. You hate I, to see it. What? Oh, it, my God. This is breaking news. What kind of documentation leaked that proved this so that we could know it? What kind of... What kind of documentation? Because we need documentation to know that that's what Facebook is up to, right? By mainstream media. Yeah. Well, that's... <laughs> anyway, uh, Francis Hagen, um, a, a now identified whistleblower that we'll talk about a little bit more, had leaked Facebook documents that indicate use of algorithms that increase users engagement by tailoring content to more polarizing topics stuff that will cause a more emotional response get people invested and harvest their attention because it's almost like attention is currency in the marketplace of ideas or something it's almost like we're living in a custom reality or something you know like it's almost like Something, I swear to God, that I've talked about sometime, but I don't remember what it is. Um, no, you read my book. I did. I read your book, Custom Reality and You, which you authored and I not did. me. Oh, my God. It's just like, in all seriousness, the Facebook leaks, they're just Custom Reality and You, which is available in the show notes if you're interested so to to summarize what the whistleblower how she specifically summarized it they have 
officially outed Facebook. Well, I guess it's official. And it's, you know, uh, satellite entities like Instagram and WhatsApp and whatever. As bad for teen mental health, yeah. where people like post pictures of themselves with either self-harming or starving themselves or with just, a ratings mechanism yeah, that um, that that propagates that content based on engagement that that can be harmful to people hey did you know that especially the adolescents with and this is actually true for adolescents um an underdeveloped executive control system and a functioning limbic system Oh, if only somebody had said something like that in the past. If only someone had warned us. There's volumes of public research on that anyways. Bad for mental health. Um, a platform utilized by drug cartels and human traffickers. And their algorithm that we were just talking about. Tailoring emotionally volatile content to people based off of their engagement history. Um, fosters discord. Does it? Is that is is that what that does? Is it, it 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 instead of fostering like real community, it atomizes people and causes them to compete in various factions, usually on either end of a culture war topic, which is propagated by outlets that understand that an emotionally charged subject gets them more engagement. Well, Francis Hagen said so. Facebook is far, far more dangerous than anyone knows, and it is getting worse. The line there um, is a breach of trust and that Facebook is, quote, not actually doing what they say they do publicly. <laughs> I mean, you can probably tell the tone of our uh, reception of the leak. Yeah. It's kind of a big duh for us. <laughs> it's a big duh, and then we want to go into contextual factors that make it strange for us and what we want to be looking out for as this unfolds. Yeah, and it is going to continue to unfold because there was a congressional hearing um, where most of this information was repeated. What came out of this shouldn't be revelatory to somebody who critically engages with social media for any extended period of time you should be able to pick up on a lot of these dynamics it, this should not come as a surprise to anybody but this has been big news within the past few weeks it's been big news for a couple weeks within within the past several days um we have identified the person who had leaked these documents to indicate this to be the truth up to this point this person has wanted to stay anonymous but now she's decided to come forward and reveal her identity so I went to a recording studio to meet her. She arrived in all black, carrying a can of Diet Coke. We went from not knowing who the leaker was. The leak that happened on Facebook was, it was entirely anonymously done. And we went from that situation to the leaker suddenly being like a national media figure who has a 60 Minutes interview, has an interview with... Uh, the Wall Street Journal, who is who she leaked to. Um, she's suddenly pretty much everywhere. She's very much an influencer type, I would say. Yeah, it's a whistleblower as influencer. Yeah, it's um, weird. So I'll <laughs> let hear some excerpts from this this interview that she did with the journal. It's the Wall Street Journal's podcast. 
um, about money, business, and power. Her stance throughout this interview, it's it sort of embodies this, like, rad lib aesthetic of, like, pseudo-anti-capitalism. Like, God, these people are prioritizing profits over public safety. This is horrible. But then it, it, it's it's enmeshed within this extremely salient capitalist apologia in which she's like promoting monopolistic control of social media and she's advocating for like not hating corporations because we can't have hate in our heart to succeed it's very strange We'll, we'll get to the specifics of this later but what's really interesting about the way that once she broke her anonymity the way that the media handled her. She arrived in all black, carrying a can of Diet Coke. Chelsea Manning was tortured in prison and and was deeply suffering. Julian Assange is literally rotting. Edward Snowden, uh, did he seek asylum? Yeah, he's yeah. in Russia, Moscow, I think. Yeah. So all these people for whistleblowing that and governmental related things are rotting in fucking prison or have in the past or had to seek asylum or be basically excommunicated yeah. from the, the media culture of the United States. This woman, <laughs> they say, coming up on the show, a conversation with Francis Haugen, the Facebook whistleblower. Frances Haugen grew up in Iowa. Her father was a doctor and her mother a college professor. I grew up in a house full of books, like so many books that there were bookshelves in the bathrooms. I'm, I'm very good at math. Like, I love math. I love numbers. I love just sitting around thinking about numbers. What the fuck? What the fuck? Why are we hearing about this? And that gave me a lot of opportunities. I went to Massachusetts for college. I then got hired by Google straight off college. Was there working on search for years. And um, I ended up at Facebook eventually working on civic misinformation. Um, She also talks about her time as a Burning Man ranger. You also have been a ranger at Burning Man? I am. I am a Burning Man ranger. What's that like? So I I like to go to Burning Man. I've been many, many, many times. Burning Man is a very hard place to be. It's hot. It's dusty. People often there for weeks setting up things. Sometimes tempers can flare. And our job is to come and step in. It's like being a Boy Scout, only sometimes you get to, like, drive vehicles. She's a fucking Burning Man cop. Um, talks about her mother's tenure as a professor. Which and is, then, of course, relevant. And, and Very then, relevant. And then development into an Episcopalian minister and how that was so important and her being told to follow her heart about leaking this information. Just this very strange, like, autobiographical whistleblower thing. It's this weird, like, effort to to protagonize her. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Exactly. She's like this, she's the savior in this narrative. She's the protagonist. She's saving us from misinformation. Really, really bizarre. So, and within that context, obviously not actually antagonistic to capital in a meaningful way well, yeah, by I mean, saying this like influencer story to the wall street well, journal yeah they're they're painting the picture of who this person is 
So you have an emotional investment into her. Yeah, it's the aesthetics of anti-capitalism to profit off of it. I, we're we're still trying to figure out what the fuck this is because regardless of the strange source from which this information is coming after this person has broken their anonymity, it's still true that yeah. like, Facebook did this and that's what Peter's been saying since 2017. Other odd thing, though, is that it's embedded within a context of liberal narratives of democracy and censorship and things like that. Well, they, she um, so tie, closely ties uh, Facebook's operations with democracy. Like somehow the democratic state depends on Facebook. It's very strange. Francis says she had a personal reason for wanting to combat misinformation. I joined Facebook because someone I was incredibly close to, who was really important to me, I lost them to misinformation on the internet. And I never want anyone to feel the pain that I felt. This person is alive. Uh, yeah, this, they're not dead. Like, you lost is, someone is, to misinformation? Is not dead. They did not become ill. They didn't try to, like, inject COVID into their asshole or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah, <laughs> they, they put the horse paste in their eyeballs. Yeah, that that's not what happened. It's not BoJack related. Um, Francis says their friendship started to fall apart during the 2016 presidential election. Her friend eventually severed ties with Francis and left San Francisco. In 2016, you know, he was a little disillusioned after Bernie lost the, the nomination. And he was susceptible to misinformation on the internet. He got really, really radicalized. And I don't blame Facebook for what happened to him. Like, I blame more like 4chan and Reddit. But he was making crazy claims about, you know, George Soros, you know, running the world economy and things like that. Okay. Not great. Um, but... I don't necessarily believe that that is the misinformation that he was sharing. Yeah, no, I, I am I, completely with you on that. Based off the context within which this person is operating, it sounds very plausible to me that, like, her friend started questioning things yeah. and her little Rachel Maddow ass got scared. Yeah, um, well, you know, if you go back to our episode on Cuba and color revolutions, George Soros specifically funds... Yeah. Color revolution. Yeah. Like, and to like, some that's extent, true. And that doesn't mean that like. He rules the world or yeah. anything. But he's a member of the ruling class and does have influence on the world stage. These are, I think, probably to a dumb Maddow watching Lib, like the same statement. But like, it's not the same statement. And it's very plausible in well, my yeah, mind. This like is the shit fucking, that he was saying. It's like that fucking, cons the serfs, again. It's like that stupid conspiracy thing that they shared where, like, the anti-Semitic tier is saying that, like, finance capital plays a dictating role and in how international relations work, which is just, like, the basic definition of what imperialism is. Yeah, and calling that a conspiracy theory. Calling it an anti-Semitic conspiracy yes. theory. I have a feeling that Hagen is operating under this, and that's the context within which we're interpreting this, although that, you know, we trust the content links to be true. But anyways, I I'm not going to make assumptions uh, about what this guy said. Maybe he is like a crazy conspiracy theorist. I don't know. It, it, it could very well be that he was saying that kind of stuff. But... But it could also be that he was literally just becoming critical of the capitalist order. Here is... 
what makes me doubt that. Things that are just super easy to invalidate. And when I would send him these things, like to give you a sense of how much misinformation on the internet can twist people, he would say things to me like, do you read your own citations? All of these references are to the mainstream media. How can you possibly believe them? She's saying that as if it's a self-evident thing that is like ridiculous or silly or foolish to like not trust mainstream media sources. This person is very much clearly operating in a context that legitimizes dying mainstream journalism. Well, and and, and it, it becomes more obvious why the Wall Street Journal, if they were the ones that did it, cajoled her into revealing who she was and trying to turn her into an influencer right. because she's got these views. She's not only brought forward this incredibly convenient information for them as a traditional media outlet, a big one. And this is the version of it where she's operating from a genuine place. Mm -hmm. But she comes forward with this incredibly convenient worldview where she thinks that mainstream media sources are the most obviously credible media sources. She has no critical things to say about them. Their ties to capital, who owns them, who dictates what goes out over them. Right. She could be a completely non-cynical actor who's being manipulated by public relations. Well, and the Wall Street Journal goes, you know, you could really be someone with this. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Hagen, when she worked at Facebook starting in the summer of 2019, her main role was to serve on what they called civic integrity or, Mm -hmm. or the civic team. And it was about stopping dissemination of misinformation through Facebook. And her main qualm was that, you know, it was such a tall order. She was part of a team that Facebook, according to her, had heavily underinvested in. Yeah, yes. To stop the spread of misinformation. She was on a team, I think, of like four or five engineers and social media people and programmers and whatever. Um, for this team and said, you know, this requires 200 people uh, or more than 200 people to be able to sift through all this misinformation and and how the algorithm prioritizes that to polarize its users and, and facilitate more engagement through that polarization, especially in 2020 um, with their removal of these safeguards. From her perspective, allowed Donald Trump to single-handedly incite misinformation about the election on Facebook to make 9-11 to electric boogaloo happen. On January 6th. On January 6th. (laughs) Which, you know, it's so funny. Like, you can go back through Custom Reality and You, my book. You can go back through Free Speech Extreme. You can see a detailed analysis of all of these things. Mm -hmm. And they're here stated as though they're like stunning revelations uh, in this liberal media. Yeah. That a social media corporation prioritizes profit as their primary, their only motive. Contextualized in this very liberal intonation where uh, obviously this is, this is not so stuff, man. How are we? How are we going to get over this? How are we going to solve this? Radicalizing shit? my dad, or yeah, it, it, that it, it does very much carry the tone of the brainwashing of my dad, which again, right, right, right. I talked about in Free Speech Extreme, where these sort of like liberal busybodies make these 
Oh my God. She talks a lot about Russia, China, and Iran. Uh, she does. Having jobs specifically to pump information, misinformation into the U.S. Um, but she she talks about how this turning point for her, she had like two major inflection points that she talks about and what led her to leaking this information. One of which was following this removal in 2020, um, or I guess 2021. No, it was December of 2020. They shut the algorithm off and immediately there was an insurrection. Yeah. <laughs> like that's well, how things work, right? And so their team, the civic team, was responsible for controlling threatening areas. Um, uh, another thing that she focused on specifically was looking at what kind of content was being shared in countries that were considered at risk for ethnic cleansing, um, which I, it's very tangentially discussed here. It, yeah. it, it doesn't really go into like how that affected other countries and there was no evidence given that this led to those things. It was just like, this country we think is at risk for ethnic cleansing. Uh, and, and, and there's such a, a, an egregious situation where we had to have two colors of red well, that, to code these things That's with. where I was getting at. So after these sanctions were lifted, the top 10 threats that this civic team was addressing was things like hate speech, misinformation, harassment, impersonation, and voter suppression. And she's talking about how they had this grid. It's, she refers to it as a war game for the 2020 election of all these like high-risk ideas being spread um, through Facebook. And they made a grid to show the prevalence of these threats being shared. And it was color organized based off of the level of threat that the information imparted if shared. And red meant that it was really dangerous. And she's describing how a turning point for her, the first turning point, and I need to get the word out, is that they had two different shades of red. That's how threatening the content was. <laughs> there were so many red squares. So the entire thing was either red or yellow. So there's no green. There's so many red squares, they had to have two colors of red to differentiate between the red ones that they couldn't address during lockdown and the ones they were going to focus on during lockdown. And at that point, I was like, oh, my God, like, this is a problem. They had, to, they had two colors of red to differentiate between the red ones that they couldn't address during their social media lockdown and the ones that they were going to focus on during lockdown and the interviewer goes you mentioned that as a moment that shifted your feelings totally why how so why? just seeing all those oh, red yeah. squares <laughs> the interviewer says just seeing all those red squares <laughs> oh yeah the two colors of red squares and francis says oh yeah oh yeah the two colors of red squares it's like so much red we have to have two colors of red. Oh, yeah, the two colors of red squares. It's like, we have so much red. We have to have two colors of red. There's angry red and the normal red. Frances says that she saw that grid of angry red squares as emblematic of a choice Facebook had made as a company. So first inflection point is, oh, my God, we have to have two shades of red to highlight the severity of misinformation. Can, we, can we just talk about how, like, how fucking liberal that is? Yeah. How, like, <laughs> they're just, that is, that is. It was emblematic of Facebook. Just like, Everything is symbolic. It's so I, stupid. I can just 
see Rachel Maddow with like a screen, an LCD screen with this graph up on it going, well, this one, this one is the angry rat. Anyway, so this was a turning point. Yeah. But at this point, this was also where, you know, she was realizing how heavily Facebook had underinvested in her team. There were not enough people to combat this level of misinformation. Given that Facebook has underinvested in us so much, so much, like we could have had 10 times as many people working on it. And then we could have addressed all the red squares. We could have addressed every one of those red squares, but Facebook wants to make, you know, $80 billion a year. What if it had made $2 billion less last year, but we had had a safe democracy? This is also where she starts talking about the social cohesion team that ran a meeting called Virality Review and how they were looking at those at-risk countries um, for genocide based off of content with, that was being generated on the internet. And so the Virality Review was of content that was going viral in, quote, at-risk countries. No specific distinction between posting on the internet and, like, what made these countries at risk. And so people who actually are exposed to content from those markets would pull up the top 10 posts in each of those markets that had gone viral that week. And they'd explain the reason each post had gone viral. And it's just horrific content. It was just this very strange tangent that made her realize how essential her work is. And at this point, how did you feel about the work you were doing? I felt it was incredibly essential. So that was an inflection point. The second one um, was when they got rid of the civic integrity team. Yeah, and when they got rid of that team, an insurrection insurrection happened on January 6th that Donald Trump forced to happen on his own with through sheer force of will. In December, Facebook announced it was shutting down the team Francis had been working on, the civic integrity team. The plan was to reassign those employees to other parts of the company. When I found out that the team was being dismantled when they announced it, it was such a a breach of trust, like the idea that Facebook could have so much information about what its impact was and then dismantle the team. A few weeks after the civic integrity team was disbanded, there were the Capitol riots. Yes. Facebook turned off all sorts of protections that it had turned on for the 2020 election, right after the election. And the reason they turned off those protections, so these are things around, like, how reactive is the platform? Like, is it viral? Those things about ranking, right? Like, some of those signals that make it easier for angry things to go out, they got tamped down a little bit for the election because they didn't want to have riots at the election. But all those things make Facebook grow a little slower. And so they turned off all those safety mechanisms after, or they went back to their old settings after the election. And the insurrection happens, and immediately they throw them back on. She talks about Facebook turning off its protections that it had for the 2020 election right afterwards um, and framed the ideology of the Capitol riots in the context of this civic integrity team not being present. My job is so necessary that when you had me stop doing it, there was an insurrection at the Capitol. Yeah. The fact that you literally had to have an insurrection and people storming the Capitol and going into political leaders' offices with guns for Facebook to take the person who instigated those things off the platform. If that's our bar, Facebook is basically saying, we will let societies destabilize to the point of rioting 
and then we'll step in. The person who instigated things. Uh, never mind the fact that the Capitol riots were the product of multiple nonprofit organizations and like various capital entities spending money spreading information in lots of different outlets, Facebook included. Never mind that. The real thin blue line is Facebook's social cohesion team. True. So she describes herself as after this happens, uh, the 2020 election and its aftermath as being in a crisis of conscience. So then she turned to her mother for guidance, which they say in the interview, which again brings us back to this very strange like narrativization of this woman. I lived with my parents for a lot of 2020 because it was COVID. So I had lots and lots of time to talk to my parents about what I was feeling. And my mother is an amazing resource because, um, so she was a professor, tenured professor for years, decades and decades. And in her 50s, she became an Episcopal priest. And so if you are struggling with a crisis of conscience, it's really useful to live with a priest. (laughs) (laughs) And you were struggling with a crisis of conscience. I was. Like, do we know anything about Edward Snowden's mom? No. <laughs> like, what What was Julian Assange's childhood like? Exactly. And what conversations did he have with his parents about... <laughs> that led him to leaking the U.S. government cables. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have any of that shit with any legitimate whistleblower. And, and that's not to say that this... This person is not leaking information for genuine purposes. We don't really know what her motives are. Right. She she could be completely cynical or she could be operating within a context of completely cynical people that are benefiting from her narrative and her very middle-of-the-road beliefs. Her, her very Rachel Maddow-esque well, beliefs. Well, okay. Her, her very... Um, her beliefs that very strongly legitimize mainstream media sources making her very useful yeah making them very useful and using those sources to communicate whatever messaging they want without challenging it i mean even her friend who seemed to be like challenging the capitalist structure that was like oh my god this person is a hazard yeah i would also stop being friends with her i yeah (laughs) no no absolutely no joke um but yeah, she she sees this happen and she goes, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was like, oh, my God, we are failing democracy on a really basic level. I never saw Facebook's willingness to invest at the level they needed to invest to solve these problems. Like, there are thousands of people in places like Russia and China and Iran whose jobs is to inject misinformation into the United States. And there's less than 200 people in the entire company working on anything even slightly related to this. And what did she say to you? And she told me to follow my heart. Um, Which led her to whistleblowing. And this had her go through basically like a date. Well, I don't want to say that because that makes it sound bad. But have a meeting where she was vetting a Wall Street Journal representative, Jeff Horowitz, um, to see if she could disclose the leaks to him. After talking with her mother and thinking about her options, Francis decided she was going to publicly reveal what she had learned inside Facebook. That's when she reached out to our colleague, Jeff Horowitz. So the first time Jeff and I hung out, 
I had been told by my friends who worked in security that I should assume my devices are bugged. I didn't know what level of paranoia to have, so I left my phone in the car. So he and I went for a walk out in the woods. It was beautiful, and we literally sat on a picnic blanket, like, slightly off the trail, like, under the trees. And this is kind of like a job interview in some ways, right? Like, I, I wanted to see what he felt about certain issues. Like, I wanted to know, did he care about what was happening in other countries? Because I could see, like, the ethnic violence issue and the risk of ethnic violence at that point was, like, the thing that I worried the most about. And I knew that some media outlets didn't care as much about those issues. So he was checking those boxes. And I, like, knew that I needed him to believe that I knew what I was talking about. And so we were just sitting there kind of feeling each other out. Like, is this someone that I want to invest a lot of time explaining things to? Like, do I trust that he's going to do a good job, a rigorous job? It was basically The Bachelor. I guess she was auditioning people to leak to. Yes, you would want somebody to be, like, trustworthy uh, in terms of who you're going to leak the information to. But, like, very, very, like, few people, le- like, go out on a nature walk with the people they yeah, could potentially it, leak to. They described to. it, like, and, and they were, she was talking about, like, we had a picnic blanket and, like, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, lady? Her and Anakin just rolling around in, in the wilderness talking about democracy. This interview ends with Frances Hagen being asked what she wanted to achieve by doing this. Um, so first she did this anonymously and then eventually disclosed who she was and suddenly became a media personality with a blue check on twitter and a publicist who's getting her bookings on 60 minutes and with opinions that are very beneficial <laughs> very beneficial for uh the traditional mainstream well yeah media. with with the msnbc opinions and her goal they, they phrased it earlier like this they want to fight misinformation and provide authoritative information as a priority. So the right information. What were you hoping to achieve? What was I hoping to achieve? So the thing I wanted was for the public to have enough information that they could make choices on what laws to have to regulate Facebook. She talks about different tiers of intervention. Um, she wants more transparency. I think there's like different tiers of interventions that I think are necessary. At a minimum, we need radically more transparency. And we need to, as a society, think about how can we not be dependent on whistleblowers like me to get basic information out of the company? Which is, uh, if you look in the negative space of that statement, her saying, I am a very necessary person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Interventions to reduce virality, which sucks because, like, I want my post to pop off, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I want to do numbies on the picture where where you look like a pop tart with (laughs) with a weird butt i look like a pop tart with a weird butt (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but but then like talking about solutions that um you know i think that we would agree with um, improving transparency, um, most notably the things that I've talked about in my book, um, having humans rather than algorithms determine what information should be prioritized and, and to filter information and to make it a more meaningful familial social space rather than a polarizing one. 
one where capital doesn't have the deterministic power as to what gets promoted, but right. rather regular human interaction does. Right, but but it's funny because Francis Hagen saying that the humans who would be in charge of that are people who reiterate and reinforce her MSNBC worldview. That is going to be a censorship-based approach in which communism is bad. Because her friend who was disillusioned after Bernie and was questioning the, the capital's power structure, probably. We don't know. He could be an insane conspiracy theorist, whatever. But you know how these liberals conflate. I, I mean, again, they conflate a basic understanding of imperialism with anti-Semitism because they're anti-Semitic themselves. Yeah. Um, no, that's 100 percent it. But but so we we really don't know about her friend, but it's plausible to say like, oh, they're talking about the role that individuals in the ruling class have. Um, that's horrific and abhorrent. I'm, I'm losing my friend. This friend is dead to her, yeah. the way that she talks about this friend. Yeah. Well, she says, I, I lost my friend to misinformation, which does imply and, a sort of death. And those types of people are the people that she is suggesting should be filtering misinformation. Yeah. She comes to this without any addressing of the fundamental contradiction of capitalism. There is no talk of class, because obviously that's anti-Semitic to do. There's no idea that there is a ruling class that makes these decisions, that owns Facebook, and therefore makes those decisions uh, unaccountably, uh, that that is the problem that needs to be addressed. There's none of that. None of that there. And it, it's kind of strange because the head of Instagram said that like those types of things that Hagen was advocating for, said like, oh, you could make things worse unintentionally by this. That prompted the interviewer to ask Hagen, what do you have to say about that? Uh, what if these fixes unintentionally exacerbate the problem? Um, and she says, so let's take a step back. Part of the reason why Facebook has made lots of these choices is because they know for each one of these choices, people engaged with the product a little bit more. And so, yeah, if you got rid of a bunch of these growth hacks, Facebook might be 10%, quote, less enjoyable. I, you might consume 10% less content on it. But the content you consume, you might enjoy more because like parts, it's kind of like fast food. They've been feeding us French fries and oh, French fries are delicious. So good. So good. Talk about a perfectly designed product. So like if, if you ate, you know, instead of having your entire diet be French fries, it was like half French fries or 10% French fries. Yeah, you'd eat less, but you probably also feel better. And this comes back again to why I said, like, if I could only choose to fix one thing, the thing I would fix is transparency. Let's take a step back and just reiterates her main point that Facebook should prioritize public safety over profits and doesn't answer that question and says, oh, the head of Instagram is saying some things might get worse, but who gets to define worse? And so she's like co-opting that language of like, oh, like the algorithm decides that or like some big corporate people get to decide that. Mm. No, it's um, it's actually me and my uh, MSNBC journalist team who gets to decide that. And we should because we know what's right and we follow our heart. The end of this conversation or this interview is concluded within an extremely 
capitalistic apologia context in which they ask, do you hate Facebook to Hagen? Do you hate Facebook? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, a thing that I, I want people to remember is, like, to do this project, I had to do a lot of work. Like, to document the things I documented at the level I documented, it took a lot of work. And you can't do those things if you're driven by hate, because hate burns you out. So that's strange um, yeah, to talk is, about a corporation that strange. way. Um, like, and then she's directly asked if um, she thinks that Facebook should be broken up. Do you think Facebook should be broken up? Definitively do not break up Facebook. All you will do is starve the individual parts of resources. And instead of being able to collaborate across those companies to figure out strategies to solve problems, you will divide up the teams and make them less capable. A socially woke mask for promoting monopoly, uh, I guess, and consolidation of capital in a social media company. Which, like, she's not even saying the problem is that these uh, teams internally don't communicate enough. Right. Like, at no point is that even vaguely, like, notated as a problem by her standards. So I guess where that leaves us... It's okay. Obviously, the the content of these leaks are not surprising. Facebook is doing what maximizes its profits. This is something that everybody knows that Facebook's, if you think about it for longer than a few seconds, is prioritizing profits over anything else. And so this is being like huge news and creating a media influencer out of it is very strange. But we believe that. We definitely believe that Facebook is doing that. Yeah. There is, however, a dialectical tension to be balanced in that the source of this information demonstrating this is one of liberal narratives about democracy as what she thinks it is, which is, you know, people. The market. It's the market in her brain. The market. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the ability to question that source and why she is communicating this and to what end this is going to be used. I don't want to make any definitive predictions, but it's definitely going to be used in a way that promotes the ideas that Hagen is putting forward, which are completely adherent to capital and it's justifying neoliberal ideology. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's the tension is, you know, this information, it's not bad. Now people know that corporations prioritize profit. At the same time, the context from which this is coming is one that will be used to legitimize mainstream media sources as the only viable source of information, um, which is, of course... um, not true. Anti-communist propaganda. Yeah. and, And serves to maintain the power structure as is. She ostensibly advocates for um, not using these engagement-based algorithms to sort social media posts and prioritize these posts uh, for what is seen. But ultimately, like, if you see what she does advocate for, for instance, not breaking up the monopolistic Facebook um, for the whole needing to, like, not hate this big Entity, Not which person. literally, yeah. which literally, like, has <laughs> shown itself to be like blatantly harmful 
and abhorrent and prioritizing profit over everything yeah, else. They, obviously, fucking obviously. They just God don't damn. give a shit about regular people. They the only thing they give a shit about is profit. The things that she's advocating for ultimately pro business. They maintain class relations. They don't criticize the fundamental contradiction of socialized production, which is everybody who works for Facebook doing everything to Facebook spec for Facebook to profit off of uh, with feudal appropriation of the product and profit. Like the ruling class, the Zuckerbergs, the board, the stockholders, those folks are, are the ones that ultimately dictate what happens. Like she illustrates no tension whatsoever between her suggestion that these engagement-based algorithms need to go um, with every other like pro-business view that she dictates during the course of this interview. Right. It's this is ultimately a scenario that under a radical liberal anti-capitalist guys, not actually anti-capitalist, but the aesthetics of it. Wearing anarchy shirts saying tax the rich on your dress at the Met Gala and shit. That kind of liberalism. Yeah. Um it's it's those aesthetics um, to to justify the maintenance of capital. In demonstrating no tension between those two things, she ultimately shows that, while maybe ideally speaking, she's against that algorithm, but it doesn't matter because the thing that she's advocating for isn't going to change that. The thing that she's advocating for is ultimately always going to prioritize those algorithms because those algorithms are the ones that yield the most profit, create the most engagement, makes the user spend more time on the site, more constant obsessive checking of this website. This is the thing that these, in these engagement-focused algorithms create, and it's also the thing that they profit the most off of. Oh, and, and the other thing is, ultimately, Who's putting her in front of us? It's, of course, traditional media. Who has the most to gain from Facebook looking bad? Again, uh, while she is ultimately advocating for these algorithms that deprioritize the engagement and make it so that normal human interaction might take place, she's also advocating for this authoritative information spreading, which ultimately means traditional media is king. These Large media sources, mainstream media sources, they're correct, and what they say is reality. And that isn't actually just normal human interaction. That's capitalism owning and dictating via ownership what reality is. That's all for today. Thanks again for watching or listening. This is Pact. I'm Peter. This is Miss Astronaut Cowboy Doctor. To help us out, click like, follow, subscribe, whatever. Leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Audible. To support us, become a patron at patreon.com slash pactpod. That's P-A-C-D-P-O-D. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next time.